Hello, are you ready for another Seeds for Success podcast? We have a startup experience and plus some controversy. So let's get started. Welcome to Harvest Recruitment's Seeds for Success show, where successful managers and experts share their insights to help you recruit and retain the right people in your organization. Now here's your host, Marie Harris. Hello, my name's Marie Harris. I'm Director of Harvest Recruitment and this is our Seeds for Success podcast show. The aim of the show is to help proactive managers attract, select, and retain the right people for their organization. We cover managers or an expert's experience in a specific topic. We look at general feedback from the audience. And of course, there's always our listener question. So we look forward to having your company today. So what have we got today? I'm really looking forward to our interview a little bit later with Guy McLaren, who works and is the site manager for startup company Chef Fresh, who's launched a ready-made meal category, and um, he tells us of his startup experience. We have feedback from our audience. We also have a listener question based on some controversy out there right at this present time, which is around falsified CVs and how do I know if I've got the real deal in my candidate, plus our events um, that we've got coming up and what's happening in the forum. So buckle in and get ready for an action-packed show. Today's question comes from a a listener or a couple of people that I've also come across in my travels, which is, um, how do I know if my candidate's the real deal? Now, I have to admit, I'm a trusting soul and I have been let down more than I'd care to mention. However, I'm naturally a forgiving person. I don't hold grudges. I forgive and I trust again, but I'm also director of this recruitment firm, Harvest Recruitment, which when it comes to recruitment, it's a process of screening, interviewing, testing and validating to ensure our candidates we present to clients are in fact who they say they are. So I guess some answers to that question, how do I know? Um, Some five tips. First of all, ensure you screen and interview thoroughly. Um, The issue that is presented as many managers move up the chain, and this was the example with Andrew Flanagan, Acker Jeffrey Flanagan, who gained the role of general manager business development and strategy with Maya, he presented a falsified CV. So he was quite a senior person, interviewed for and presented for a senior role, and everything did not check out. So quite often the senior managers feel they are beyond the interview. And many a hiring manager and recruiter will abbreviate the thorough interview they undertake on more junior candidates to treat the executive with executive with the dignity and respect they deserve. But what happens is once these executives are approached and they're interested, quite often the recruiter or hiring manager neglects to conduct a thorough interview to test the candidate is all they say they are. And you may need to coax a passive candidate to become an active candidate, but once active, it's imperative you interview as thoroughly as you would a highly active or less qualified or experienced candidate. Next on the interview is probe on actual responsibilities and achievements. Um, Often candidates get asked what they did 
but many interviewers don't ask tier two or tier three questions. Uh, a candidate could say, yes, I was responsible for the Shanghai operation, a direct team of 10 and 30 indirects, and we achieved 20% growth year on year to revenue of 10 million. At this juncture, a lot of interviewers will say, gee, that's impressive and move on. Um, but this is where we have to sit and be thorough to that next level. Uh, we have to ask the question, how was this done? Who did you work with and through? Who was your manager, client or supplier? And what did they think? Getting deeper and seeing how your candidate responds allows you to check in with what they are saying. Is it as impressive? Did they stall when you probed further? Were they convincing? Um, by this stage, you are also seeing the other parties, potentially validating parties that you could reference with that will reinforce what they say. Third is when we get on to reference checking, ensure the referees are legitimate. When it comes to reference checking, you can't glibly take a referee at face value. Names, titles, and mobile phone numbers are fraught with danger of being false. I know, remember, I am the trusting soul. What I've learned over the years is if you are given a referee at a company, call the company on their switch number and ask for the referee. At the very least, you are confirming that the referee is employed by that company. You can Google search your referee, find out some history, play on LinkedIn if appropriate, and look at their profile. Again, you don't have to be a private investigator to gain more confidence that the referee is who your candidate says they are. I know it may feel bad to do this, but it'll be worse if you went ahead based on trusting alone and got the wrong person in your organization. Fourth, do not employ a candidate without taking up references. On the last point, many candidates will say their referees may have moved on and can't be contacted. That's hogwash. It's not true. Um, sorry, but it is. Um, we are in a digital age where most people have a digital footprint. People can be found if you work to trace them. Google search, Facebook search, LinkedIn search, or do a search on their previous company. If they've left that company, fine, call the company and ask where they've moved to. Um, I have to say, and I have experienced it, don't worry, there's a war story or two behind here. Whenever a candidate has been hired without reference checking, it invariably turns bad. There are skeletons in the closet and they hope you will trust them enough to start them, but then watch as it unravels before your eyes. And fifth, use a variety of validation tools, presentations, role-playing, case studies, simulations, psychometric psychometric profiles, aptitude testing, demonstrations, teamwork activities, skills checks, qualifications checks, police checks, and medicals are all validation techs techniques at your disposal and further verify if your judgment of your candidate is correct. The more you use, the more you can be sure your candidate is in fact the real deal. So we have a breakfast coming up on that. So listen to what's coming up in our events. Our biggest forums that we are getting a lot of feedback and that you can see what's going on and um, some information that we're presenting to the public audience is of course through our website um, at harvesthr.com.au in particular our blogs page um, here we have sp spoken to a number of topics since we last caught up you have some advice to getting candidates over the line so this is ensuring that your candidates actually take the job um, then 
for job seekers, particularly our executive job seekers, uh, negotiating offers and navigating your way through the offer process. There's a bit of um, toing and froing when you're a senior and executive candidate. Um, then on the startup side of your career, professional career coaching for year 12 students. So talk about the time when you just have no idea what you want to do, or probably 90% of the 16 to 18 year olds have no idea what they want to be doing. Um, so we've got some information there that can help particularly the year 12 students. Uh, and of course, the subject that I spoke to earlier is your candidate, the real deal. In Facebook world, you get to see where we've been and what we've been up to. So um, we had a busy June breakfast with guest speaker Marie Harris, and she talked about how to prepare for the performance appraisal. And um, so that was a fantastic morning. We had 25 um come to that breakfast. Uh, We've also been out networking at Chamber of Commerce. We were at the Jobs for Geelong Fair, uh, which was held earlier in June. And that was a two-day jobs fair, which we actually presented. We presented on the uh, realistic insights to the region's job market. So there's some information uh, there as well. And I'm soon to get that up on SlideShare as well. I know that's something um, that was quite topical, particularly for the Geelong region. Um, So yeah, head to either our blog, um, harvesthr.com.au forward slash blog um, or our videos harvesthr.com.au forward slash videos or head to our Facebook page which is facebook.com forward slash harvesthr and we look forward to um, seeing you in our forum because yeah if you're on Facebook um, you can easily have a two-way dialogue with Harvest Recruitment and Harvest Human Resources. We have a couple of events that you may be interested to know. Um, Our first event is our breakfast seminar on July 24th and our Harvest HR breakfast briefing will cover the question that I had earlier, which is, is my candidate the real deal? There's always the news headlines and this time we have the um, Andrew Flanagan Meyer experience where with a falsified CV, a candidate got through a lot of um, screening and testing um, processes to land a role based on a falsified CV. So that's going to be the topic of our breakfast, just more as a conscience vote as a hiring manager or a manager in your organisation. And um, we look forward to having your company there. I also thought I would um, pen the next date, which is the 27th of August, which is the Small Business Festival um, presentation that we'll be running. And we'll be talking about confident hiring at a breakfast at the end of August. So you can find that event um, either on our website, harvesthr.com.au forward slash events, or on the Small Business um, Festival website. So either or you can um, find that event in August. And I realized I shouldn't let you know too many events in advance because our events are often um, subject to change based on the topic. So our July event was just configured a week ago based on um, the highly topical um, subject and controversial subject of, um, yeah, how do I test and validate my candidate based on the Andrew Flanagan Meyer experience. Today, we've got some feedback, but interestingly, it's from 
my newly released book. Um, I launched Body Snatchers, Unlocking the Secrets of the Recruitment Industry back in March this year. And it's, yeah, it's getting some take up from um, the reading audience. And we've had some purchases of the book from our website, harvesthr.com.au. And yeah, so some feedback from the readers of uh, Body Snatchers include, um, thank you, a great read. Um, another one of the reading audience has implemented the um, social media um, principles that we laid out in the book. Uh, another one read it himself and then had his partner read it. So I found that very interesting and both found it uh, a fantastic read also. So it's, I guess, validating my first author experience, but that people are actually gaining value from this book. And I've got one um, customer who's actually ordered some more copies. So not only did he like it, he's buying a few copies for some friends. So that's some fantastic feedback on another product that we have, which is the book Body Snatchers, um, aimed again to help managers attract and select the right people for their business. It gives me great pleasure today to introduce Guy McLaren. Guy and I have been working together since February 2013. Um, We were approached by new company Chef Fresh, who was launching a startup business in Geelong, uh, to see if we could assist them find the right people for their organisation. They were a food manufacturer and they needed a recruiter that, one, knew the food sector and, two, had some great contacts and networks locally and an understanding of the industry overall. And so Guy came to us um, and, yeah, we helped him with his first four roles within the organisation and we continued to assist him um, recruit I think it was about 35 employees altogether. So it was his core group of process operators. Now, guys come to us from the UK, so you'll find a UK accent. Um, and he worked previously with Bigham's. And you can find out a little bit more about his previous company, Bigham's. Um, I think it's bigham's.co.uk or Bigham's dot com, um, which again was a ready-made and still is a ready-made meal uh, manufacturer out of the UK. And so he's brought his skill set and his abilities um, from Bigham's into this um, startup venture, Chef Fresh. They launched onto the supermarket shelves in September last year and needed the group of people to bring it through to successful commercial launch. So please let's welcome Guy McLaren. I'd like to welcome Guy McLaren today. Guy is a client of ours and we've worked with Guy for the last... 12, 18 months actually, and it's been fantastic. And Guy is also an avid listener of the podcast. So um, I put it to Guy to say, would you come on? And I think we've got a reluctant but agreeable (laughs) Guy here today. So welcome. Thank you very much. Now, Guy, today's focus, we're really looking at what it takes to start up a business. And you've been involved with the launch of a company called Chef Fresh. Um, tell us how you came to be involved with the launch. Um, oh, well, it's a, it's a nice story, actually. You can probably tell, well, you know, Marie, but you can probably tell from my accent that I'm a, I'm a Brit. And I actually came to um, Australia and to Victoria um, in September 2012. Um, 
uh, following uh, a job opportunity that uh, arose for my my partner. Um, so I, I came over here having worked in um, the food industry and particularly in convenience food for 10 years in the UK. Um, I was the commercial director of uh, um, the fastest growing um, convenience food business in the UK at that time. Um, but I came over here without any sort of job to go to, thinking I might do something completely different. Um, and funnily enough, in, in, in great Australian tradition, I was actually at my first barbecue meeting um, a, a bunch of, of Aussies and, and, you know, understanding what a snag was for the first time. And I mentioned to, to someone at that barbecue where I'd worked in the UK and they said, yeah, I know, I know all about that company. And I pointed out, I thought that was very unlikely. We'd been quite small and though we had a certain amount of fame because um, of what we were doing and how well we'd grown, it was still highly unlikely. And they said, no, no, I do know about it because I know that somebody has been over there, they visited your, your company and they're trying to replicate it over here. In fact, you should go and talk to them. Um, and the rest was very much history. Um, you know, as I said, I've been looking forward to a life of semi-retirement, I think. And uh, uh, But within weeks, um, I was helping out edit the business plan for uh, a new entity, which eventually evolved into, into Chef Fresh. Fantastic. What was the company's strategy with regards to its setup and launch? Well, the... Um, the owners of the business had very much seen that there was an opportunity for UK-style convenience food um, in Australia. Um, the market was and, and is quite immature in Australia, and they just understood that um, if they were to, to steal a march on, on the competition, they wanted to get to market very, very quickly. So the, the brief that um, we had was very simple. It was get to market as quickly as possible. Um, whilst still maintaining the quality of the of the product for when it hit the the shelves of the the retailers, um, they were absolutely insistent that um, the site that we were, we were designing and, and setting up, um, that the people who work there, um, and that the processes we put in place were of the highest quality, um, because they felt very strongly that that would turn out the best food, um, but that there was a real need to balance that with, with, with speed of implementation. So we had this incredible situation where we were um, uh, designing the food that was going to hit the market at the same time as designing and, and building the site, um, which actually is down in, in Geelong, um, and at the same time then having to build um, and recruit a team and develop a culture which all would come together to turn out what we were hoping would be the the best convenience food in in Australian retail. So you can imagine we had a lot of balls in the air. So obviously you love a bit of chaos then. Uh, absolutely. I started my career um, working for some some quite big businesses. I worked for, for Mars um, and then for L'Oreal. And um, it was only... Uh, after you know having been in those big businesses that I, I then joined a, a very entrepreneurial business back in the UK and um, I fell in love with with small entrepreneurial mm-hmm. um, organizations because um, I love the fact that you can get a small team of, of people focused on one outcome um, and it's easy to get your arms around the business and if there are problems you can just wade in understand where the root cause of the problem is and you know I'm amazed at how well these huge businesses do at, at, at moving ahead and doing so well because, you know... There's I so think, many layers. There's so many layers, right, decision. right. And, I, you know, I like the fact that actually I can have an impact, um, you know, I, at any level in the business. Mm. So mm. even, you know, even today, um, 
before we met, you know, I was meeting with my team and working out a very, very minute issue, but it's an issue that impacts the business every day. So if we can resolve it today and move on and continuously improve, then then we're going to keep moving ahead. Yeah. Now you mentioned, and I'm just going to go off track a little bit. You mentioned that you wanted to get the jump on competition in ready meals. Now, Australians, we know ready meals as out of the freezer, you know, put in the microwave dinner. That's probably what we've known as a ready meal. So when you said you needed to get the jump on the competition, that's not the ready meal category that you were looking at. Right, absolutely. So I, I was quite shocked when I arrived at the difference um, in the um, ready meal market between the UK and, and Australia. Um, the word TV dinner that hasn't existed in the UK for about 30 years. And yet over here, when I was meeting consumers and trying to understand what they wanted out of the market, um, they would regularly refer to ready meals and convenience food as, as TV dinners. Yeah. And they would sit around, you know, absolutely shocked when I would explain to them that ready meals and convenience food in the UK are regularly used. Um, people will eat them routinely twice, three, four times a week. Um, and in fact, now they've become so accepted as a way of catering that it's not unusual for friends to go out and spend quite large amounts of money um, on very, very premium ready meals that they will then use to host dinner parties. Um, and it's completely acceptable. And what they will say is, do you know what? I would rather spend my time with my guests if I can buy something that is of quality that will be as good or better than I could cook myself. And it takes the stress out of the preparation time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I, um, you know I've, I've been to dinner parties in the UK where, where the host has simply said, I hope you don't mind. I've, I've gone and spent a lot of money on a really high quality ready meal so that we can actually catch up and enjoy time together. Um, so the market, you know, and I think that would be very different to the to the um, stage that the, the Australian market is in at the moment where TV dinners are seen very much as um, food as fuel. It's kind of a portion for one that I eat on a tray um, when I'm ridiculously busy and I've sort of had takeaway and two nights in a row and I can't face having it on the third. So um, what we're hoping to do is shift the perception away from food as fuel um, in terms of a ready meal to something that actually can be as good as you could cook your yourself and it would be used on the night when perhaps you just haven't got time you've had to take the kids to rugby practice or or footy practice or, you know um, and you've got home you're tired after a long day at work but you don't want to eat something that's revolting you'd rather spend a bit of money and have something that's you know delicious and nutritious and kind of you feel you know rewarded by not soiled by yeah. awesome now getting back to the process of getting to that official launch when did you come in and what did it involve in terms of the tin tax of of launching so um i i, I joined the project um as it was really as i said just just when the the business plan was being put together um and the the, the challenges at that stage were um to um, first of all, you know, secure the funding um, for finding, you know, finding a site and then developing it into what would be a um, a small, flexible sort of state of the art um, ready meal production kitchen. Um, but then going out and actually um, making all those things happen, um, and we knew that we were going to be uh, on the on the ideally on the shelves of a, of a retailer 
in in sort of six or seven months time so we had to move very very quickly um, and myself and a colleague split the the key activities between us um, he went off found the site developed the site um, and i spent my time um, developing the products um, and recruiting the team and then working really hard on between us on on what we wanted the business to look and feel like once we started getting people through the door and joining the team and in fact the first thing that i did when i was um, uh, asked to join the pro- project was write um, some cultural guidelines. So I wrote five points down, uh, very simply on a piece of paper. Um, and at, I think you know, sort of my second interview, I, I said to the uh, the guys um, that were recruiting me, as it was into the project, I said, "Look, if we can make the business look and feel like this, it's got a much greater chance of of being successful." Um, because I wanted to make sure it had that entrepreneurial. Um, very speedy, urgent, high-paced feel to it where people were committed to getting a single goal, um, getting behind a single goal, I suppose, and, and making sure that we were, really were not losing, ever going to lose sight of the, the aim, which was to develop the best convenience food in Australia. Very good. And this is not your first time in a startup organisation. You um, have done a startup before in the UK. So tell us how the process was similar and what differed. <laughs> uh, well, um, that's a great question um, because uh, what was similar was that we were working within a similar place in the market. So I had a very, very good feel for um, the sorts of products that may or may not work. Um, interestingly, the Australian um culture obviously is very closely aligned to the British culture and we all like the same sort of stuff. So um, we we like you love beef, we love chicken, we eat a lot of steak, you, um, Aussies eat a lot of steak. So it was actually quite easy to say, um, I've got a real feeling for what the food should look and feel like. Um, obviously, there were some cost implications just because of the vagaries of the economy, but we could work through those quite quickly. Um, what was lovely about doing it second time around, I suppose, is that I was looking at really um, aiming at a known target. I was implementing a model that um, was previously defined. Whereas when we were doing this in 2003 and 2004 and 2005, um, we were a small team who didn't know what the end answer was. So we were spending a lot of our time designing products and designing production um, and manufacturing systems to make those products. And then finding out that wasn't what the consumer wanted at all. And then we'd have to all get, you know, there'd be five or six of us really in the business at that time. And we'd all climb back into a room and we'd say, guys, we've just made a huge mistake. And it turns out... We're going to do it again. (laughs) It turns out that we had to tear up that business plan. We had to tear up those products and we had to evolve. So... The, the, the 10 years I was involved in that business in the UK was one of constant evolution. It was constantly, let's try something new, evaluate it, see if it works. And if it doesn't, um, understand why and readdress it and kind of improve it and move on. Um, and that's obviously, it's a very creative process. It's a really rewarding process to be involved in. But this time around, it was rather lovely to know, <laughs> to have a head start and know what the end game might look like. Yeah. Um, of course, you know, it is different. Yeah. And Is there uh, any ripping up business plans? Yeah, there, there is a bit. Yeah, of course there is. And what's interesting is um, the range that, that we launched in uh, September 2013, some of it had immediate traction with the Australian consumer um, and some of it, frankly didn't um and we knew we were likely to get some failures and the failure rate was um about as forecast but you know using the lessons that that i'd experienced in the uk the key really was just to start innovating as soon as 
we established that there was likely to be a chance of failure. So um, as soon as we realized that the sales weren't quite where we expected them to be, we were reworking those dishes, looking at which ones were working, learning lessons and um, adapting the range for the next series of launches. Because, you know, you're only really as good as your last sales numbers in, in chilled food and retailers don't have a lot of patience. So you've got to make sure you're responding really, really, really quickly to what your consumer is telling you in terms of what I like, what I don't like, what I'm prepared to pay money for and what I'm not prepared to pay money for. Um, and I have to say, we've just launched our, our, if you like, our second release into the into the market. Um, and uh, as I was telling you just before we started this conversation, um, it's it's going fantastically well and those new dishes are, are, are working uh, even better than the, the better dishes of the original launch. <laughs> And I have to reflect when I popped into the, the factory um, a couple of weeks ago when that product was launching, Guy asked if I'd um, come and cook some rice and I thought, no, I don't want to spoil this. So <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just leave you to be the expert in your domain and, yeah, deliver to, to the store. Uh, brings me to a question. You chose Geelong for the first factory. Why so? Um, I think there were... Um, uh, a couple of very, very distinct reasons why we, we chose Geelong. Um, one, um, it was apparent even from, even even to a, a Brit that Geelong has a really strong heritage in manufacturing. And it was really important to us that we were able to access um, a pool of, of labour that had a heritage in manufacturing and were able to um, think about putting ingredients or components together to a very exact recipe to get a very consistent result and I you know I think it sort of doesn't matter whether it's the production of of cars or the making of great little you know recipe dishes it's the same really you start with high quality ingredients or components you put them together in the right way in the right amounts um, and what you're going to end up with the at the end is hopefully if you've done it all right is a very high quality consistent product and consistency is why our customers will come back time and time and time again. Um, if you think about yourself as a consumer, Marie, if you were to buy one of our meals and you had an awful experience where your husband or your kids said, Mum, this is horrible, you simply wouldn't come back. Even if you'd had three lovely dishes from us before, the fourth one, if it disappointed you, um, you would go and try something different. And that's how cutthroat the market is. It's a bit like going to your favourite restaurant. You can go week in, week out, but on the, the one time they disappoint you, Next week, you say, do you know what? Let's try somewhere different. Mm, mm, you're so, right. Fickle, fickle us consumers, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's what keeps us on our toes. And that's why we've got to be, you know, why we've got to work so hard to, to make it as excellent uh, as we can. And so the, the manufacturing heritage was really important. Um, it, as a point of detail, we also found the right format of site. So we had a very clear vision of the sort of size of site that we wanted and also the um, sort of some boring basic stuff like the amount of car parking that we need. We're quite a, um, a, a labor um, rich business. We need lots of people doing manual stuff because there's a lot of, a lot of cooking and, and, um, and marinating and these sorts of things and butchery that goes on in our business. So we actually just need to be able to get people to the site easily and get them away easily. Um, and finally, the other thing that was important because we really want to get our food out fresh to our customers, um, the key is proximity to their distribution centers. So, you know, Australia is a big place um, and it's absolutely crucial that the food really spends its time in our customers' fridges and not just being trucked up and down the roads um, of Australia before it gets to them. Because, you know, from the moment that 
um, we receive fresh ingredients and we're chopping up a fresh onion this morning um, to the moment that it hits the retailer's shelves is sort of all wasted. You know, actually what we want to do and our, our aim is to get the food um, manufactured today and on the shelves of the supermarkets tomorrow. And that's that's what we achieve. So that was a really good choice on, on that basis. On location. Reflecting back, you probably can't even remember all the the horror stories or, or, you know, the hero stories that were happening because it's probably, you know, in a blink of an eye, it's gone. Um, but when you reflect on that time when you were um, building the factory, fitting out the factory, getting ready to launch, what were the elements that went smoothly for you? Um, I think I think um, the build went went pretty smoothly. Um, it, it landed on time and um, that was absolutely crucial because clearly you can't start making food unless you've got uh, a clean, cold, um, high quality site in which to do it. Um, I think the other thing which um, proved to be, to, which I noticed distinctly as was different from, from the business in the UK was having the products, um, if you like, pre-evolved um, and in my mind, was really was really useful. So I was able to work with a chef to c- take those concepts and make them and realise them, I suppose. But um, I knew what they should look like, and I knew how they were going to perform. And lots of the lessons I'd, I'd I'd learned in the UK, I could apply apply here. So um, I'd say, you know, the, building the kitchens, getting the the recipes in the right place, um, and um, and then you know it was a delight once we got into trials and finding out that yes, actually. The, the kitchens we built could make the recipes yeah. we designed. That was that was a bit of a, a heart stopping moment just to see if you know when we turn the switch on things would work and they yeah. did. Yeah. Um, and I suppose the other bit which was really important to me and I, I mentioned it before was the culture and the people that we brought into the business. And um, uh, as you know very well, Marie, um, one of the things that we um, we wanted to do was bring a, a large group of people in. And starting a business from scratch and bringing, you know, kind of approximately 40 people in meant no one has any role models, right? So no one no one can look at the guy next to them and go, oh, you've been here six months or two years or five years or 10 years. Show me how, the ropes. How do we do this? <laughs> yeah. So sort of everyone turns up really within a sort of 12-week period. And it was, I had a, I had a great moment where one of, one of my colleagues said to me, Oh, yeah, but I'm just, I'm still learning, guy, because, you know, I've, I've only been here two weeks. And so the rest of the team turned around and went, well, we've only been here four. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, um, we we have managed to get a great group of people in the in the team. And they're incredibly dedicated, um, both working, you know, in, in what we call a support team, which is supporting um, the great work that goes on in the manufacturing team. Um, so in, and in the manufacturing team and um, I'm really I was really really pleased when a few uh, weeks ago um, during what I call the kitchen catch-up which is where I meet the whole company once a month I was able to give out some awards for some team members that had just celebrated their first chef fresh anniversary Amazing. Uh, and time flies I couldn't <laughs> believe it had been a year but it was wonderful that they had been the very first production team members that we brought into the business and they're still with us today and they're still working hard for us and on that very day we we spoke about where I was dressed in a hairnet cooking rice um they actually stayed behind after their shifts to help me get the order out that day um and as did lots of um, other people from the team put in additional hours to make that you know make that order for our customer and I'm really proud that that um that they still feel that way about the business a year in that's great were there any stumbling blocks? It sounds like there's there's so many things to to um, give praise to, and and that 
worked very well. Is there anything that stopped you in your tracks that you went, oh, I haven't encountered this before or, or that just stopped you or were almost hiccups to actually achieving the launch date? Yeah, I think, I think there were. Um, one thing that I hadn't considered, which is incredibly naive of me, is I hadn't considered the um, uh, sort of inbound supply chain to us. So we'd spent a lot of time working on when we make the products, how we get them out very smoothly and very speedily to our, to our customers and so that they reach the, the shelves in the freshest possible, best looking state, you know, ready to taste great for our consumers. Um, but it hadn't occurred to me that if there's no, um, if, if the ready meal market is relatively mature, then the suppliers into the ready meal market are likely to be quite immature. And um, perhaps the biggest evolution that has occurred in our um, in the, in our in our production kitchens is that we're doing a lot more um, preparation right from scratch. So we rather hope that we might be able to buy in chicken in exactly the breast sizes we wanted. We thought we might be able to buy in our onions pre-prepped, and that's exactly what I would have done in the UK. Uh, but that's not been possible over here, and as a result, we've ended up you know, peeling pumpkins, prepping onions, crushing really? garlic, cutting chicken, trimming beef, uh, mincing lamb. Um, all, all with the sole mission of, um, of you know, creating the freshest possible food. But uh, I hadn't even that hadn't occurred to me that that wouldn't be around, and mm. and those services simply wouldn't be there to call on. So that was that was a challenge. Um, it was also a bit of a challenge finding strong management that were prepared to come and work in Geelong. Um, and you know, we were well, we worked very closely with you, Marie, to to get a very good team together in the end. But um, Actually, I mean, we found that a lot of candidates would dismiss the the role that was being or the opportunity that was being offered just on the basis that they lived on the outskirts of Melbourne and didn't want to do, you know, the commute down to Geelong. So I think I'd underestimated um, how difficult that might be as well. And I'm going to just skip to a question that I had planned for later, which is around the staff and attracting the staff, because, you know, as a new new kid on the block, companies you know, like a lot of candidates are attracted to known brands, known entities. Um, what was the key in attracting staff to what was an unknown brand? What we realised um, after a fashion was that actually um, in the in our recruitment process, we were doing as much selling of a concept and, a, a, um, and selling a vision as we were asking people about their previous experiences and, um, you know, asking them why they should be working for us. So, you know, I'd come... It was like half promotion, half Absolutely. (laughs) It really was. It was a marketing exercise as much as it was, you know, it was a sales and marketing exercise as much as it was a recruitment exercise. Um, And, of course, some people um, were very reluctant because they said to us, well, can we see the products? And we were saying, well, no, not not really because we're still making them. We're still designing them. And they'd say, oh... Well, can, can we go? Can we meet you at the site? And we could say we would say, well, you could, but it's a big hole in the ground at the moment, um, and it's raining today, so you'll need to bring your wellies. Um, and you know, even more recently, since we we've been operating, it's been difficult because some people have have um, said to us, well we can't even find you for interviews because you haven't got a sign on the door because we prioritise actually working on the recipes and getting the food out to our customers rather than getting a big glossy yeah. sign out. And a street number. Um, exactly, yeah, right. So <laughs> I, I suppose, you know, um, what we learned was that um, A, we had to do a lot of, of promotion, but B, we were competing for these individuals with, with other companies that were recruiting. Our job was to try and be as 
professional as possible in our interaction with the candidates. So it was no good leaving them hanging on for a day or two or you know, not getting back to them swiftly. Um, because if we did that, their already fragile faith was was you know destroyed mm. and they thought maybe the project's not going ahead maybe the funding's been cut i don't know if i've the job's going to be there I'll, I'll just go for the safe option and and unfortunately for us we were always the risky option so our job was to be as professional as possible it was to make sure that we were on time for interviews and that the the candidates could see that we were very serious about what we were doing um we were i was very aware that they were buying in as much to um, my vision and to, to me as, as, as they were to the company um, because there was nothing else to buy into at yeah. the time. Um, and even today, I feel very strongly that, that um, those of us that were involved in the project at the very early point have a responsibility to make sure the business that we continue to create and evolve delivers on all the promises that we made these you know, guys and girls at the interview stage. And, and you know, it would really disappoint me if one of them ever came to me and said, do you know what? It's not as good as you promised. Yeah. You said this and it's this. Exactly. No, exactly. It's, um, it sounds like it's it's coming true to form. So when you're in this startup phase of we're going to kind of produce this product, we know the product, and it's going to be kind of in this factory environment, how do you resource plan for that? Because when I came in on some briefing exercises of the organisation, you had the org chart, you had it all mapped out. Was that my own promotion I guess of of this is what the company is going to look like or was that something that you'd already fixed really early stages um, or was it something that was open to movement and and I guess fluidity along the way? I think the answer to that is everything's open to fluidity and movement to use your your terminology I mean everything in a small business is flexible right Um, apart from the end goal so I think you've got to you've always got to say we as an organization are going over there. Now, how we get there is probably not likely to be the route that we first map out, but we are going to end up over there. Mm. So we might go left a bit or right a bit, but we must eventually arrive at that destination. And whether that destination's a year away or two years away, three years away, is not that important as mm. long as you're still moving towards it. Um, but you only know if you're still moving towards it if you put a line in the sand and say, let's start here. Yeah. You know, and um, I suppose, you know, when you and I looked at that first um, org structure for the Mm. business, uh, and and if I think about how it's, uh, if if you like, evolved now, it's not a million miles away from that. No, it's not. So this was February 2013 and you were new and and you you had the core team of, I think, four key managers in the business. That was it. And then you were were saying, you know, we're going to have approximately 40 staff in this, you know, pilot plant of sorts or pilot production facility and six nine months later you were actually at exactly that result so to get from in your head of how this is going to look to actually that's actually how it did look Um, a lot of startup companies will be questioning where do I start with the resource plan what what are my key positions that I need to put in and how do I plan around a production facility you know like in terms of the output and you know just some some of the the thinking that you had behind that well i i would say you know and it's, it's that's a that's a huge question I know. um it's but like, so part, we part, could spend the rest of exactly. the time talking about so, resource planning so part of it really helps if you've just done it for the last decade right yeah. because you know there are key um there are key roles in the business without which the business is simply not going to function so you go and you start by saying if we're looking at you know, human resources, you go and you start saying, I will definitely need a really good person, um, in our case, 
interacting with the customer, or I will definitely need a really good chef who can um, take a bunch of ingredients and speedily get to the right solution that's well-costed um, and is going to be appealing to the customer. Or I definitely need somebody who's going to keep off our production facility safe and is great and technically minded um, and who um, is going to be able to do that in a small business environment. So I would say you start by putting the must-haves in place and then underneath that and perhaps um, around that, you start saying, well, I'll probably need somebody in planning. Now, planning could sort of sit maybe on the finance. It could report into manufacturing. But knowing that you needed that, that resource. Absolutely. So you, you, you've, got, you've got your must-haves and then you've got your kind of, I will, I will need these people, but I don't quite know where they fit in the, in the org structure for now. But I don't like leaving things floating. So I then decided, right, on the, on the, blank, on the paper exercise, they'll go there. And at least that means when you're talking to candidates about where they fit in the organization, whilst you know that there may be some flexibility in the in the org structure, actually, at least they feel secure. They understand what job they're interviewing for. They understand how close, you know, whether they've got a line of sight right to the top of the, the organization, which I have to believe is, is really important. I mean, I think if you're going to say to people, we as a team are about to, you know, get out the trenches and go over the top and go and take that trench over there. Everyone needs to understand where that trench is and mm -hmm. how you're going to do it and what the plan is. So um, it was important that people felt that we were organized and we were um, professional in the way that we were going about this business. And, um, you know, being professional attracts people who are professional. Um, so the more professional you can appear, the more detailed and you, you write the business plan. Um, it allows you at every stage to work out, are we on track or are we mm. off track? And if we're off track, how far off track are we? And is that material to the end goal? If it is, let's bloody well ooh, get back on track. Probably yeah. can't say that, but um, let's get back on track very, very quickly. No, it's fireside chat. Guy, you can say what you like. <laughs> now, what was important to you in getting the people piece right? early doors? Um, I suppose um, two things were really, well, there was only one thing that was really, really important to me and that was the culture of the business. And I've, I've mentioned that a couple of times. Mm. Um, I've, I've been lucky enough to come out of a business which had a, an incredible culture um, and where, you know, every day people went over and above um, beyond the needs of, of their, you know, job description to make sure things just worked right and you can't ask for more mm. you know there are two there are two types of businesses i think there are businesses where people um give up their discretionary time and their discretionary effort and they chuck it all at the business and it becomes a rewarding and magical place to work and you get this incredible virtuous circle where if you get individuals in the team who aren't prepared to if you like, over deliver and, and, and give up a bit of their discretionary time and effort to the business, they, they just don't survive and they don't thrive and, and those guys mm. will, will drop away. Um, and there's the other type of business where everyone does what they're asked to do and they, you know, they go to the limits of their job description, but, but no further. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, small entrepreneurial businesses desperately rely on the first. Yeah, yeah um, the first trait, which was my next question anyway, which is what do you believe are the common traits employees in a startup business need to possess? So that's that discretionary yeah. Um, dedication. Yeah, so I think um, what do I always look for in a candidate for a small business? I always look for that little spark of enthusiasm. And, you know, if you're meeting a candidate for the first time and you can see that they're bubbling with enthusiasm. It doesn't even really matter about whether they're bubbling with enthusiasm about being in your business. I always ask um, a simple question in interviews. I ask what 
what the uh, candidate is passionate about. And I love it if somebody's able to say to me, um, as I had recently, um, I asked what someone was passionate about. They said, I love Japanese cooking. And they started on a 10-minute monologue about the exact way to perfect kombu dashi, which is a, a Japanese ingredient. And I was amazed. You could see their body language change. They relaxed into an area which they knew so much about and they were bursting with enthusiasm. And you sort of know that if you can convert that enthusiasm to being directed in and around your business, that they've already won half the war, mm. right? That that they're going to do pretty well. The next two things I look for that are, are kind of must-haves as well are respect. Um, I think and respect gets banded around a lot, but what does it mean to me? Respect to me means that I respect everyone else I work for. I trust that if I've been recruited into this business because I'm good at what I do, then likelihood is my colleagues have been recruited because they're good at what they do. So if they're talking to me and they're proposing something or they're discussing something, even if it's uncomfortable, even if the conversation's a bit cr- what I would call crunchy mm. and um, it's, you know, ripping off a few Band-Aids and looking at some scars and, yeah. you know, if, if there's respect in all of those conversations then those conversations can be really, really positive and actually can drive the business forward at a faster rate. Um, If there's little respect, Mm. then what that means is someone starts talking, someone else has stopped listening and it just becomes a moaning fest, right? Mm. Mm. Um, And that's a a real challenge if you end up with a team that's got that kind of toxic um, feeling about it. So if you can combine enthusiasm with respect and then if you can layer on top of that, and this is the the kind of golden triangle, I think, if you can um, get a sense that everyone needs to invest in, in CI continuous improvement, mm. that they can say, we know we're not perfect, but bloody hell, we're enthusiastic and we know where we're going. And mm. what we've got to do every day is take a little bit of the business and just fix it. Just a tiny little bit every day. So that thing that is nagging at you and irritating you, it might be as simple as you do a really repetitive task on a spreadsheet every day and you sit there and go, I don't know why I do that every day, but that's what I was told to do. Mm. If you've got the chutzpah to sort of get up and just get that fixed so that you don't have to do it every day and you can get a whole team of people doing that every day, then the business just leaps forward, you know, time and time again. So it's those two things for me. It's enthusiasm, you know, it's respect and it's, it's that real willingness to drive the business forward, to continuously improve, to be in a better business tomorrow than you are in today. That's great. Now tell us the, um, the launch. I, I would have loved to be a fly on the wall. Not that you would have had a fly on the wall in a food manufacturing facility, uh, but what was the atmosphere, atmosphere like in the lead up to the launch? Um, so I'm sure many of your listeners have been at some point involved in a school play or, um, (laughs) some amateur dramatics performance. And, um, that is probably the closest feeling I've, I, I've, I've had. And I get that every time. You haven't been in a school play, guys? I have been in a school play. Yeah, I have. Of course I have. Um, uh, who hasn't, who, who wasn't strong armed into the school play, you know, either in the choir or the orchestra or something, but it really feels like that. It's, there's a lot of nervous excitement. Um, you know that you've done all the rehearsals, that you've tested all the gear, that everything is going to run, um, smoothly, but until you get your first order, and you say to the team, here we go, it's going to come in 
and everyone's by their screens and it's 10 o'clock and the order rolls in and you say, right, now we've got to make it, guys. And it's got to be out the out of the, the unit within, um, I don't know, uh, nine hours or whatever it is. Um, you know, it, you just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So you don't know how the performance is going to go, but you do know there's an audience and they're waiting for what you've <laughs> promised them for the last year. So you bloody well better get it right. Yeah. So there's a lot of nervous excitement. Um and there's a real sense of urgency and um, there is a, a lot of small firefighting that goes on inevitably whenever you start a new manufacturing process. Um, and, you know, we had some some big issues on the first day. We had a major bit of kit that broke down. Um, literally, we were standing there. The lines were running. Everyone was smiling. We were feeling re- rather smug about life for about about 35 seconds because at that point um, a major major uh, majorly important piece of kit went down it meant that we couldn't weigh any of our food that was leaving the building which for legislative purposes was so important to us monumental and suddenly lines are grinding to a halt food stacking up um, people looking at you with slightly shocked expressions going it's your plan. What do we do now? Um, but of course, have we got a plan B? Yeah, and of, of course, there isn't really a plan B. The plan B is stop, think, um, take advice from the the great team that you've recruited and you've all trained together. Um, brainstorm a solution. Um, think about that solution for as long as you can afford to just check that there's nothing sort of no nasties hidden in that solution, and then implement it. And that's what we did. Um, and it was an incredibly hectic first week for us. Um, but we got through it and, you know, the products went to launch. And, um, you know, of course, the other big thing that was in my mind, which I don't think anyone else had time to concentrate on, was that we might put this food out there and no one might pick it up. So we got out on the limb. We're putting out food that is more expensive than anything else on the market. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, get maybe uh, a quality level that people aren't going to buy into. A new category of ready meal. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we've imported something from the UK that we thought was going to be um, a big hit, and it was a bit like I, I, I suppose it's a bit like launching a book or, 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 or launching a CD or whatever. Is you wait for the, the you know you wait for the sales results, and um, it, you know they don't come in for a week. So you've got your head down, you're getting on with the day-to-day stuff, but all the time there's 5 or 10% of the back Could of the program. we be closing in a month or so? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> what, how, long, how long will our customers give us if nobody picks this food up, you yeah. know? And, um, you know, so that was the other, the real mm. sort of other internal monologue for mm. me, which is, yeah. you know, will it, will it all work? Will the opportunity be realised? And that was September, as we mentioned, that the um, the first group of products came onto the shelves, and I was I was the consumer that was trying my best to get through all of your <laughs> all of your release products as they came came to the shelves. We're now nine months since launch. How has it gone for you? And what are your plans for the future? Um, well, I'm sort of. I'm sort of starting to believe it's becoming quite successful. So I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, you know, a bit of a touch wood there from me because I don't want to ruin it all. But, um, um, you know, we're still in business and, um, you know, we, some of the lines that we launched were, were more successful than we'd hoped they'd be. And frankly, some were, um, less successful. And I, you know, I said earlier, one of the things we needed to be was, was very nimble. Um, and, you know, when those lines started to fail, it was really important that we, um, innovated and we looked at what was working in the lines that 
that, w- that were working and we developed food that um, replicated those traits and we um, got straight onto that and we, we, we've done we, you know we've done a lot of that and we recently launched a second if you like release um, of, of food into the market and I'm pleased to say that all of that is selling even better than the best sellers from the from the first um, launch of food so um, the business is going from strength to strength we're now six times the size we were when we launched um, back in uh, September. Uh, 2013 and um, I'm pleased to say that we're due to, to double again um, and it's it's great that we are out there recruiting we're bringing um, we're going to double the size of the team this year and we've got about two or three people joining our business every week which you know is is, is great for us I love bringing people into the into the team it's great for Geelong of course that um, you know we, we've got a, a rate of growth that that means we're creating new jobs um, all the time. Um, and I, I suppose, look, I suppose the plan is to keep doing what we're doing, keep getting better at what we're, we're doing, um, keep building the culture of the team so that they're really proud and that they tell their friends where they work and they recommend us as an employer of choice in the area because, you know, to a certain extent, we can all choose where we work and the best people definitely have choice about where they work. Mm. Um, and, you know, we all know working is not just about your paycheck at the end of the day. You can you can be paid a little bit more but hate your job and people will always take somewhere where they love their job and get paid a little bit less. So we've got to be, um, we've got to create a great environment for our, our team. We've got to continue to make fantastic food for our consumers. Um, and uh, we've got to keep getting better and better at business so that we can do it more efficiently and, um, uh, you know, become more profitable because, Ultimately, that's the scorecard for the business, right? You know, if we're if our bottom line is growing the whole time, then we know the business is moving in the right direction. And, and really, you know, I, I, I regularly encourage the team to talk about profit and think about profit because not because, you know, I'm, I want to be peddling along in a bath of money like Scrooge McDuck, but rather because it's our scorecard for the business. Mm. And, um, and any business. And any business, right. I mean, that is the common denominator between any business, yeah. right. You know, so if you see that bottom line building week on week on week, you as a business just get so much more freedom. You know, you get to choose how you spend that. Do you reinvest it? Do you, oh, do you just throw a big party and say thanks to the team? But if you're not building your bottom line, you've got, you've got, you know, no freedom whatsoever. And you're just, you know, waiting day to day to and reacting rather than being proactive and and pushing the business forward because you've got that little bit of profit. So things are going well. Exciting times. Well, Guy, I do appreciate you coming on to the show today and being my guest. Um, look out for um, Chef Fresh. They're obviously going to be growing significant in a, significantly in our region and who knows beyond there. Thank you, Guy. Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciated Guy's uh, input in that interview. I think for any startup business, there is just so much um, that we can take away. And I trust that if you are listening and that you are a startup business, that you too will be able to pick up some gems from the discussion that we had with Guy. Uh, So what did we learn? Some things that I took away. Um, Startup is exciting. You can tell it in the tone of Guy's voice. Um, It's an exciting uh, environment to be in, a new business, new growth, and with that has that energy that you don't see in a company that's been existing for a very long time. Also in startup, you need a plan. Uh, you need to know clear roles and responsibilities, even from the get-go. Um, for example, in Chef Fresh, there were key players and they divided the role of who was going to build and fit out the factory and the other 
person was going to be involved and that was Guy in product process and people development. We talked about what worked and that they did have a lot of elements that went smoothly um, through to delivery um, and achievement of launch and that was having the right people and having the um, product mapped out um, and working through that process of trial and bringing it through. Uh, but also the things that got in their way, they hadn't actually planned too much around the supply chain to their organisation. So it was well and good for them to go, yep, this is going to be our product. But because the fresh ready-made category uh, in ready-made meals was, and still is in its infancy, the supply chain was not actually able to um, potentially deliver um, in that startup. Um, frame. So they ended up bringing a lot of what they were anticipating from suppliers in-house, um, some more of the butchery, for example, and um, some vegetable prep, which was not what they were expecting in the first instance. Um, with regards to resource planning, I thought it was really good how um, Guy said, look, we did need to have an organisation structure, um, one, to map out our must-haves and key roles that we need in the organisations and also the roles that we know that we need. We don't quite know where they'll fit, but we need them all the same. And then when it came to recruitment, um, that it was half interview but half promotion because a good candidate, as Guy said, will have choices. So they need to be convinced of the future and, and it needs to be very clear from the leader because the employee is actually buying into the leader, not necessarily the company. And it was so important to build the trust early and deliver um, to candidates' expectations as they were coming in. So that's just a few things that uh, I took away and I'm sure uh, you as a listener will take more away, um, but fantastic startup, food for thought from the new player in ready-made meals, Chef Fresh. In our next Seeds for Success podcast, we're actually going to mix it up a bit and I look forward to that, in fact, and hopefully as regular listeners, you'll also appreciate a, a little bit of a change from um, our standard format. So one of Harvest Recruitment's consultants, Letitia Hotez, is actually going to host the show in our next podcast and she will be running all the segments and then I will come in as the special interviewee. And the main reason for that is I'm presenting at Small Business Festival in August and it's around confident hiring. So we're going to get to the bottom of how you as a proactive manager in your business can become more confident in your hiring, in the process, in the framework, in the deliverables. And so, yep, yeah, so we're turning the tables. The interviewer is going to be the interviewee. So stay tuned for our next Seeds for Success show. Well, that pretty much wraps up our Seeds for Success show um, for this episode. Thank you so much for your company. We've been delighted to have you. We are looking forward to some of our events that are coming up. We didn't also mention that Guy will be presenting at an upcoming forum, um, part of the Engineering Network Geelong. Uh, we'll be looking to host Guy hopefully in September this year. So we're still firming up dates, but keep an eye on our events page um, to see that one coming up. In the meantime, 
If you're a startup, please give Harvest HR and Harvest Recruitment a call. We'd be delighted to help you. You've seen and heard how we've helped um, a startup company launch their business and not just launch with a couple of people, but launch with a wholesale group of people within a very short time frame. So if you are starting up your business, head over to harvesthr.com.au or give us a call 1300 363 128. You have been listening to Harvest Recruitment Seeds for Success show with Marie Harris. Want to cultivate your employment prowess? Then visit harvesthr.com.au.